Bonjour, film lovers. Did you know that you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher Radio? We also have a website, realnerdspodcast.com, where you can find cool articles and other ways to listen to the podcast. You can also follow us on social, Facebook at Real Nerds Podcast, and Twitter and Instagram at Real Nerds. You can also call us at 720-6-NERDS-5. We will listen to it, we will play it, and we will probably commentate on it. Also, email us at realnerds at gmail.com. Anyway, enjoy the episode. Well, a real nerd knows who shot, and a real nerd can follow the plot, and a real nerd can... Doesn't talk film! I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Take it outside. Well, a real nerd knows who shot, and a real nerd can follow the plot, and a real nerd This is Real Nerds Podcast. We are the best movie podcast on the internet. Opinions may vary. Joining me this week is Brad. Hey. And Brad, you sound really far away. Are you uh, in a hole doing your taxes? Hang on a second. Is that better? That is way better. Yeah, there you go. Hey. We said you were doing your taxes, so I didn't know if you are like in a Buffalo Bill, like hole <laughs> uh <laughs> my financial futures feels sure feels like it <laughs> no oh. i know i did laura and mine sunday i don't know i don't mean to put them off the last minute because it's actually pretty easy to do but i don't know and then we ended up owing money and i was like son of a bitch it's easier Even if you with- have like a full-time job but if you have like side gigs ugh. yeah oh yeah i mean i I only have to do put in, well, I had to put in three things. I put in two W-2s, and then uh, because we paid $9,000 for Laura's tuition this year, you know, you get, like, a tax credit for it. And um, so that's not hard, but the last previous years, we got taxes back for it. This year, nope. Um, yeah. But, yeah, not anyways. feeling great tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, dude, I, I'm, like, freaking super sick. Do I sound, like... You do. Stuffed up? Yeah, man, I'm, like... My sinuses are killing me and for the last couple of days, and I had to go to the grocery store, and so I went down to a Thai restaurant while I was down there, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to get Thai hot food, and I'm going to clear up these sinuses. By doing that, it, like, cleared my sinuses up, but they immediately filled back up with, like, shit. So now I have a raging headache. <laughs> do you do like a so, meal med at all or something to kind of help ease that? Uh, no, I take ibuprofen. Oh, uh, yeah. That just kind of helps. You're back that. on the show. I am. Yeah. Hello. Sorry. Yeah. No, I was going to say though that the meal med kind of helps with the sinus thing. Like you don't like don't force it. But like if you let the water kind of flow through there, the saline solution kind of helps. But like, yes, yeah, it's, it's my fault. I. I know where I got sick from and uh-oh. <laughs> uh oh. Well, sometimes um, in my job, I deal with not like the most healthy people. And um, this person this week was like, he had a, like a snot coming out of his nose. 
like so far that when he was in the back of my car, it went from his um, nose like all the way down to the floor. And no matter no matter how much like hand sanitizer and how many times I wash my hands, it just doesn't seem like it matters. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, anyways, uh, every week on Real Nerds Podcast, we see a new movie and we podcast our experience to the world. This week we saw Renfeld. Stay tuned. Mm. Where we tell if you should see the film or not, play the trailer, and then spoil the movie. We also talk about movie news and stuff we've been watching throughout the week. That's what we do, and we've been doing it for twelve years. And Fan Expo is happening this summer. We'll be there with the greatest um, booth ever of all time. I haven't period. got the confirmation yet. I know, I know. <laughs> it's like they'll send it to us, right? right? We just, you just had to will it into existence. We have it on audio record that we're going to be there. So if they deny that, then then we can claim that they're they're making dreams die or something like that. I know? totally feel like it's going to be since we all all these grand plans that uh they'll totally pull the rug out from under us and be like, oh, sorry, we just didn't have enough space for you guys this year. So Sam Raimi needs five booths. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, that's why I haven't bought any of our video store plans yet. Mm. I'm sure you'll get confirmation sooner rather than later. It's coming in <laughs> July, right? Yeah, I'm sure we will. I'm I'm not worried about us getting confirmation, to tell you the truth. <laughs> um, But, you know, if we don't, I'll still go there like a day or two for sure. Just go like Bender, like, fine, I'll go and build my own fan expo with blackjack <laughs> and hookers. Well, you know what? Forget the expo. <laughs> you know, Chad Harden's coming back, so I have to have him do another Mortal Kombat character for me. And you know, gotta gotta keep that streak alive. Yeah, and I, I, I do think I need to see uh, see Sam Raimi. I think it's you know I've met Bruce Campbell three times. I think Sam Raimi has to be the next one. Yeah. Can I? Can I? I've shared this with you, Ryan. But can I share with the world my plan for Sam Raimi? The ultimate plan. It's the best plan ever. For anybody who doesn't know, Sam Raimi uh, and the Coen brothers are are tight with each other. Um, In fact, Raimi co-wrote what would become the Hudsucker Proxy. And in turn, um, the Coen brothers, like way back before, had written Crime Wave, which Raimi directed and unfortunately the studio butchered. Sweet. This week, we saw Renfeld. Renfeld. (laughs) Brad, do you recommend Renfield? Uh, it's fun. Um, other than that, like I, I, I don't know what much to say about it. Like, I think you're just going to watch some silly performances. Uh, the uh, world domination B plot wasn't of much interest to me. Um, hmm. yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I enjoyed it while I was watching it, but I don't know if I'm like, oh, that's something I need to experience ever again. Zach? I, I loved it. I loved the shit out of it. Um, I, I would definitely go back. Um, but I think that there's a bias because there's a lot of there, there's a lot of love for earlier Dracula films in that movie that that tickled me to no end. Um, on the outside of that element, uh, I think Nicholas Holt is great. I think Nicholas Cage is rocking it. Um, I, I have some small quibbles. We can get into them in the later discussion. But uh, on the overall sense, uh, it's among the best films I've seen this year. Um, but that's been 
that's been a short order because of my movie going habits as of late. So it's a possibility that this could end up on my film explosion list. We'll have to wait and see. But for the moment, it's just a solid fun film. I think everybody will check it out. It's a good gory time. Uh, I think I'm somewhere in the middle. Um, like I had a lot of fun watching it. Um, I liked, uh, I liked how uh, gory it was. Uh, there's some really funny parts. I like, uh, you know, fuck you, Kyle. <laughs> throughout the film um but but yeah uh but it's still uh it's still a good time and um it's a fun diversion at the movies here's a trailer for renfeld mr renfield welcome i am the you will make a very good assistant. No, he's evil. We will protect you. You have the word of the most trusted institution on Earth, the Catholic Church. Ah! Renfield, your sole purpose in life is to serve me. Now, let's eat. I just want a normal life again. No, 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 no. God bless you, Mr. Renfield. Oh, God bless you, nuns. You're a hero. Well, but Montague Renfield. Let me explain. I work for Dracula. Count Dracula? It's the real fucking Dracula! Some call me the Dark One. Barbarous, the Lord of Death. <laughs> so you bring in people to eat? Well, I do other stuff. Like what? Wash his cape? The cape is dry clean only, strictly. Yeah, I'm aware of this shit. This fly, yeah. You kind of think you're such a bad guy, but you're never really going to be free until you face him. I will no longer tolerate abuse. <laughs> I deserve happiness. You explain something to okay? You deserve only suffering. I will unleash an army of death. Everyone you care about will suffer because you betrayed me. We have to stop him before sunset. I am enough. I deserve happiness. And I take full charge of my life tonight. You know when something crazy happens and someone's like, it's okay, I've seen way worse. Everything I saw you do today is gonna be my way worse. It's my least favorite part of the job. So this is the direct sequel to Dracula. Yeah, well, uh, it, but it re, no more like a rewriting of Dracula because I I thought about this. I don't know if I'm wrong or right. Right. In order for their story to work, does that mean that they won in the end of Dracula 1? Well, I mean, they rewrite the ending because he, you know, it, gets burnt to a crisp at one point. Yeah, it's almost like it. Like in order for the lo- the logic of it to be a sequel to Dracula, you'd have to assume that Dracula ended with Renfield somehow getting away and resurrecting Dracula. Which, given the logic of this film, actually sort of makes sense. So, um but yeah, they they do they do su- they do such a thing and establish the lore by taking it right all the way back to 1931, which 
the way they melded those shots of um, Renfield and um, Dracula played by Cajun Holt in there, I thought was beautiful. They, uh, they even got Holt to do the, the mad laugh uh, when he's at the um, in the lower uh, bowels of the ship, looking up um, at the people discovering him. I was like, Oh my God, they thought of everything. This is most lovely to look at. Um, yeah. They, um, so yeah, they set up that um, Dracula gets burnt to a crisp by these people that are supposed to hunt him. And I guess um, that they really don't, explained very much but they end up uh being killed because renfield falls for dracula's uh seduction but another thing they play with here is when he eats bugs he gains some of dracula's power he's almost become superhuman um Mm -hmm. which i don't know why you just want to eat bugs all the time (laughs) like Empowering. Then, and then by that logic, you'd have to assume that. Well, it's it's similar to Dracula that he needs blood to live, but in this, it's more to gain superpowers. It's almost like they could live, but this just helps them be better metahumans or whatever you want to call it. (laughs) So they relocate to New Orleans. Um, Renfeld is in charge of bringing victims to Dracula. And so Dracula can be back at full strength, and there's some sort of thing that if they are bad people, it he doesn't uh, replenish faster. He needs innocent people, like nuns or a bus full of cheerleaders. <laughs> um, uh, and a- along the way, we also find that the New Orleans Police Department is corrupt, and Aquafina is uh, this woman there who's trying to take down this mob this is, what, this is the most corrupt police force in movie history perhaps <laughs> yeah, no <laughs> literally everybody's in on it uh, and uh yeah so she's trying to restore her family's name after her, her father is murdered by uh this Lobos crime family that mm-hmm. uh runs new orleans um uh, ben schwartz is the son who i think is great in the movie he's probably my favorite character in the movie oh he's fucking um, awesome in the movie <laughs> yeah and uh so yeah and that's basically the plot and mm-hmm. uh yeah it's it's definitely gorier than i thought it was gonna be i mean there's you know a straight up uh jack's fatality where he rips his arms off mm-hmm. um and I mean, Zach mentioned to me in a text, and I agree. The blood is a little too bright or cartoony. I don't know exactly what it is. Um, I think, I think like the way I kind of like, I've been thinking about it since I sent that text yesterday that like there is a, there is equal amounts practical effects as there are CGI effects in some respects. Um, but the problem is, is that the CGI blood effects look like they're not rendered properly. Like they almost like kind of like neglected to do that because it's almost like they thought, well, this is so fast going so fast. Nobody's going to notice. And like the problem is, is that like the angle on it is so prominent. And thankfully, like, I I mean, I, again, I think that the, the, the final move makes up for it where he throws those arms into the chests of other guys. Um, But also like it's in broad daylight. So I don't think that helps it either. Like it, it looked kind of like it looked like it like had cream stuck in it as opposed to like just being a, a clear liquid, which it is kind of supposed to be. Um, 
but it didn't deter my love of the movie at all by any stretch. I just kind of t- noticed that the when they're wanting to go super ambitious, it just feels like they didn't properly render those effects. It's it's not a bad thing per se, um, but it it was it was noticeable in places. Um, yeah, uh, uh, I mean the movie's fun. I think uh, Nick Cage's makeup when he you first see him in New Orleans, I think is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, you know the the group therapy scenes are fun. Um, they they add a bunch of new lore, and the the one thing I it sometimes takes me out of movies is they make this point that Dracula's blood can heal you, mm-hmm. and then I already knew towards the end I'm like oh they're going to use that to bring people back to life. <laughs> it's like the uh, well the original title. Book- the original title of the film was Dracula into darkness. So, um, yeah. So there's no consequences for like the death sometimes. Um, mm. Mm. Do you think that's because it's a comedy that they're kind of playing around with that? Like if this were a genuine uh-huh. horror film, this would be less an issue. Maybe. Um, I mean, it's fine. It's, I mean, I don't mind them trying stuff, new stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Cage is really good in it. Uh, mm-hmm. He has the right temperament, and he doesn't go full on Nick Cage very often. <laughs> yeah, I think there's like I only really noticed one instance of it, and it's when he's berating uh, Renfield in his new apartment. Yeah, um, but that's still a really cool scene, though. I think he's really good in it. Um, I love how, in order to get him to stop, he holds up the book about how to defeat a narcissist, and, it, and yeah. there's like this pause where you think it's like supposed to act like the Bible. <laughs> um, he's good. He's actually balancing like it's almost like he's kind of like amalgamating a bunch of different versions of Dracula because he has a slight Hungarian tinge, but it's not. He's not trying to make fun of Bella Lugosi. He just has enough of the inflection to get him by. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't. I think if you talk too long for it, it'd come through bad and just. Oh yeah, a, yeah. I think he a parody he, of Dracula. Like I, I thought it like when when Malia and I walked out, I was like, I was thinking about how you best describe it, and I was like, it's it's almost like this is a Dracula who started in Hungary, but then went to to more English speaking countries over time, and it's been decades upon decades. Eventually, you kind of lose part of the accent, and it becomes more English centric. So like that kind of that 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 uh filled the logic hole in my uh in my brain but also it's a movie it's I'm not expecting Nicolas Cage to do the level of Hungarian accent that Martin Landau did in Ed Wood you know <laughs> Uh Brad you weren't as enamored with it but uh what was your take on it what you like not like You know what actually I think my favorite part I actually wanted to watch the movie that was all the uh black and white behind like um, like back in the day footage of the movie that they had at the beginning like that's the movie I actually wanted to see <laughs> um, like yeah. uh, uh, Gus Van Sant uh, shot for shot remake don't no, no don't ask don't ask him to do that please <laughs> no not a remake but just like this movie but in that style I think would have been uh, oh, that would have been fun yeah yeah fun, oh yeah fun um do you think it should have been set in the in the in late 1800s or so, sort of 1900s in that respect or go to the modern day still? I think it would be fun to show that style in the modern day like mm. um yeah, I I uh yeah, than that um I don't know, like I actively like left the movie being like I enjoyed watching that, but I'm not sure like if I cared about it. 
that much mm. like when it was over mm. you know mm-hmm. um uh it like a lot of the movie is uh renfield dealing with this toxic relationship and it's really a lot of just um and it just feels kind of shallow and they really dig too deep into it to keep it fun and then this whole side thing of like this uh um this gang that ren or dracula turns the tables on him and uses to like uh towards world domination just kind of wraps up really quickly like they don't get very far in their plan mm-hmm. um so yeah i don't know it just didn't didn't really like have I mean, a, a the one thing i did like about dracula's plan is the sticky note that said and <laughs> what when he's when he's explaining the plan to Renfield and he's going like it's it's not just me Renfield it's you and on the map it says Dracula in very fancy font then he has like a tiny little papyrus sticky note that says and Renfield oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I, I I thought you know the jokes and stuff like that in between was fun but yeah there was just something about it I was like didn't hang on with me you know. We're we're in, we're in spoiler territory. Like, how how much did we like the way they basically killed Dracula with every method imaginable? <laughs> and, mo- and I love that montage of them like using virtually every weapon that's been described to maybe kill a vampire at some point, and then the ending is them turning his ashes into fucking ice cubes and putting him down a drain. <laughs> yeah, it's it was fine except the whole protection spell. Like, oh. I, I don't understand where she said it or how she got it. It's just like, we need to end this. She said she got it from a coven tumbler or a Wiccan tumbler or something like that, which I'm yeah, like, I guess she that's... read on the internet. Yeah. yeah. Before yeah, but that scene. I, yeah. No, but they never say that. And it's just, I guess it's supposed to be a surprise. No, she says it's, it. Yeah. She well, says no, I know it. She does. But I mean, like, they do this whole like huge fight and then it just happens to end that way. I don't know. They, they, yeah. they don't, they don't set up the importance of the protection circle beyond the first instance of it in the movie. And then they kind of casually use it as language during one scene, but it's not like a big well to do. Um, so I, I understand where you're coming from on that. But I, I, that being said, I did think it was funny. I was like, yeah, I guess it's just be any kind of powder. So it's just a cocaine circle of protection. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I mean it, it was fun. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's the uh, <laughs> like just chopping them up to bits and stuff. And I like the one girl who's in the uh, the support group. And she's trying to tell her story, and Renfield barges in. She's like, "Can I get through one fucking story?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was Gory a lot of fun. And fun. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it. Emily, I had a lot of fun with it too, and she's usually not into uh, heavy gore films. Uh, so, like, I think she's slowly starting to acclimate towards some of those horror-driven affairs. So, I think she's I think she's ready for Army of Darkness and Evil Dead at this point. Well, I think when it's with a comedy, yeah, tinge to it, it makes it less brutal. You know, oh, for de- people it- who don't like gore, I wouldn't show them like the 2013 Evil Dead or anything. No, no. It's similar to Evil Dead Rises where I'm like you're not going. You you <laughs> you won't want to. Like <laughs> the en- the invite isn't coming because I know it's not going to happen. Like I've I've just learned to accept certain things. But like also like but like uh, like but at the same point she can she can handle like a, a Jordan Peele movie, you know. So like that's always pretty cool. So yeah. Yeah. Any any other words on 
the film. I I have this weird feeling that like I don't know if it'll stay in my like I'm gonna I'm, I'm working to try to go back to the theater more often with my schedule on a on a wane now, and I don't know if it'll like stay. But I'm like almost hoping that it does stay and that not, not too much comes out to like knock it out of there because I really do like it. It's it is one of the most enjoyable experiences I've had in a movie theater this year that wasn't going to an older movie that I'd seen before on a big screen. Uh, it, it's it's I think that it's a very good love letter to the original Dracula film while at the same point standing on its own feet as a story about Renfield and like it the idea of dissecting Renfield as a character is really interesting because he's had several different modes of usage and incarnation over the years, whether that's because he, in the original novel, Harker's the one that goes to, uh, to Transylvania to sign the deed. And uh, Renfield was kind of used because it was part of the stage play back in the day that they really adapted the move, the original movie into and in like Bram Stoker's 1992 Dracula movie, they um, uh, Renfield is just in the asylum, and that's the same with uh, Renfield in the um, in Nosferatu from 1922. So like, it's interesting watching them dissect that character as a victim uh, rather than a henchman, uh, which is an an angle I wouldn't have really thought about until if you go back to that older film, Ryan. Like there are moments and I always have to remind myself of this. There are moments where Renfield is trying to stop like Dracula from having any progress by saying, send Mina very far away or like get out of here while you still can. Uh, so like it's it's almost like they uh, Robert Kirkman, who wrote the original story, took those elements and decided to create a whole basis around that, like a whole concept around that. So I, I, I think it's uh, a nice little treat for horror fans to have. Because it's not it's not as powerful as a young Frankenstein for a horror comedy, but it borders on that in certain places in terms of just the kind of jokes it's telling. So, yeah, I think people should give it a shot. And it's really quick, too. It's only like 93 minutes, I think. It's like really short um, and it doesn't drag. It, it just moves and it doesn't stop. Agreed. Yeah. This is the big news story of the week. It's real news! Man, the big news story is <laughs> Mario keeps on hopping on the competition. Wahoo! Um, it had the smallest second weekend drop of a film that animated film that grossed over $100 million because they uh, did, um, you know, their estimates earlier in the week, and they said it was going to still do eighty-seven million. And then when they got the actuals back, it was at ninety-two. Um, so it's one of those movies that's really connecting with people. And um, Jack Black's Peaches is on the Billboard Top One Hundred list. Um, so it's uh, officially entered higher status than it mm. has before like the movies it's definitely touching a nerve with people mm. so i haven't gone to see it yet I'm, I'm, I'm excited to check it out at some point um yeah and it's and it it took in most of the energy in the room because like everything else like especially new releases were in the single digits nothing went up above a double digit that's so weird 
Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, um, uh, I mean, I, I said this last week on, um, my screening, I saw, man, people were cheering and clapping and laughing. And, mm-hmm. um, I mean, they were cheering when the Nintendo logo came on the screen. So. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 the only other film that I've been seeing get that much attention or like, it's hard to get into screenings without a bad seat is Dungeons and Dragons. Like, that pulled in a good chunk of uh, audience members. Like by the second weekend I went in there and it was, it was packed. Like we barely got a good seat. So yeah. Yeah. Two fun movies. Mm-hmm. You make fun movies. People will show up. Agreed. We watch things throughout the week in a segment. I call what we've been watching. So uh, yeah, this is the stuff we've been watching. Brad, what'd you watch this week? A uh, couple things, but I don't know. Like, you guys haven't been keeping up with Picard or Ted Lasso, so I don't know if it's worth talking about. Uh, yep. <laughs> I, I have I mean, I, Yeah. I, uh, I made it to, in Ted Lasso, I think I'm at, I just saw the episode where Roy Kent becomes a coach. Um, and Ted goes into therapy. So, has the, um, has the episode where, uh, Jamie's dad shows up and harasses the team, has that happened yet? No, I, the one I saw was when he, um, well, I guess that was before he was traded or bought out by okay. the Premier League team where his dad says, what are you doing passing the ball? <laughs> okay. Yeah. So the episode I'm thinking must be after Roy becomes a coach. Never mind. Uh, but yeah, uh, Roy Kent always cracks me up. Yeah. Like, um, uh, when he's at the falafel place, when <laughs> Ted asks him to be a coach, <laughs> and he's like, You're ruining it for me, you fucker. <laughs> yeah, it's um, great. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I keep on meaning to, but I'm working so much and it's a pain in the ass. Um, but I mean, I could just follow Corinne's feed and you know just figure out what's going on because she posts like non-stop about it yeah let's get all the I'll get caught up through that yeah but yeah Picard <laughs> season three I really wish I could talk to someone about it like near, literally no one else I know watches it and the finale is Thursday and it is really hard staying off the internet because people are already trying to spoil it oh that's a bummer how do people already know what's happening with it? Um, I, I guess some of it's probably already been watched. Yeah, they've screened the f- final episode for reviewers and things. So, mm. so it's just a matter of time before one of them's like, does it for attention. I remember you not being the biggest fan of it. Has it uh, changed your mind at all? Oh, well, the third season's way better than the previous two. Um. And there's, there's still some goofy things about three, but uh, it's it's all kind of like all the threads are being pulled together. You know, so it like the last episode was amazing. Um, still some silly stuff, but um, yeah, it introduces what's really going on for the finale, and I'm bummed because other cities are going to do the IMAX screening in theaters, and Denver's not a part of that. And really, um. Weird. Yeah, it, it just seems like an epic, epic finale, and uh, I can't wait to watch. But yeah, 
Well, I hope it satisfies you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, and actually, I like based on what's happened, it, it would be really frustrating if it did actually end. Like, um, I'm kind of guessing that Picard's going to sacrifice himself for his son. Um, but yeah, if that didn't happen, um, Patrick Stewart's like in his 80s, so it'd be ridiculous to ask him to keep continuing to do the role. You know, just because we need you know, like as fans, really we want more in stuff. Eighties, he's like eighty-two or something. Wow. Ooh. Um, but I thought it'd be cool if um, you know, there's all this talk about a Star Trek legacy show, where like it continues the voyages of these characters anyway. Um, and maybe Picard, yeah, maybe Picard does sacrifice himself for his son. Um, and so he disappears from the cast. But uh, I think it'd be more interesting to go like an American Horror Story style, where each season of Star Trek Legacy is like a new story. So, like, maybe it's, like, one season of a mishmash of Next Generation and Deep Space Nine characters, um, you know, another season's um, Seven of Nine commanding the Titan, and maybe that crosses over with other Voyager characters. Like, it doesn't have to mm-hmm. be a continuous same storyline. It would be cool to have a, a Star Trek show that's just kind of... Um, you know, just, like, its own thing each season. Yeah, for sure. And that makes sense to me. I mean, and it yeah. makes sense for, well, I guess I did see in other news that Michelle Yeoh's uh, character is going to have its own movie. Yeah, Section 31. So that's that's cool. They're bringing her back for that. Um, yeah, and then like the, the season of Picard also reintroduced Changelings from Deep Space Nine. And so I'm like, wow, they had to redo the the you know body morphing graphics for that. So they kind of have a reason to go like, Hey, maybe we have an opportunity to remaster DS nine now, mm. like they did for star Trek generate uh, next generation. Um, if they can apply that to all those graphics that have to be remade because they're produced on video, uh, mm-hmm. like that'd be cool. So, yeah. And you know, yeah, I mean, you know, those shows are popular enough that they can do it. Yeah. I mean, having seven and I on the show, like it ha- has to have like reignited interest in, in, uh, DS9 and Voyager. So, um, getting remasters of those, like Star Trek is so popular now on P- Paramount Plus. Like, there has to be, it has to be worth their while to turn those into at least HD masters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can use like AI technology to upscale it now, too. So, which I don't think was as big of a asset back, I don't know, 10 years ago when they did the Blu rays for next gen. So, no, yeah. yeah. So, I think yeah, a lot of next gen was also on film. So they were able to like crop and move stuff around, but yeah, DS nine and Voyager were, uh, beta and video. So. Hmm. Yeah. I'm excited. <laughs> Just got to hold out for two more days. <laughs> you got this. I got this. Zach. Um, uh, I've been watching, uh, quite a bit. Uh, I got this. I, I, I like two two big things really stick out is that I got to. I, I went to see Superman um, seventy eight on the big screen at the Alamo on Sunday, um, and I had a wonderful time watching it. Um, I'm not the world's biggest Superman fan, but I liked watching those those effects on the big screen and watching people interact with it. It, it was a fun time, and the movie does uh, move move breezily for a movie that's like two hours and twenty minutes. Like it it's it's a solid fun time um and just seeing the 
kind of getting a chance to knowing the story already, it was fun to kind of just watch it shot by shot and watch the visual effects and how, how they are so innovative for their time. Um, every time he's flying, every time something is happening, like there's some goofy stuff that doesn't hold up necessarily today, but for every goofy thing that doesn't hold up, there's like five things that wow you. And uh, watching the way that they're moving the camera along the mat when they're having him fly, like just w- w- watching them figure out the technology is kind of uh, remarkable to watch unfold on a big screen. So, um, and just the practical effects and, it, it, it's just a fun time overall. Um, the uh, but I'm continuing my um, uh, uh, I've, I've got two more. One is going to be really quick because Ryan, you and I are doing our 1933 uh, 1933 uh, watch list, the Glee of 33. Um, and I uh, found a film from 1933 on YouTube. It's a British film from the studio that would become Ealing. Um, studios which put out uh, Hue and Cry, uh, uh, Kind Hearts and Coronets, and the original Lady Killers. Uh, it's a movie called Loyalties uh, from '33. It stars Basil Rathbone as uh, a Jewish um, entrepreneur amid the racetrack set, and he is, uh, you know, going about society, really trying to, you know, acclimate into this club, uh, but he. But he the 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 British upper class around him, uh, as much as they either tolerate or appreciate his presence, can't not comment on his Jewish identity. And when uh, Rathbone's character discovers he's been robbed of money at a party at a given at a big mansion, he creates he, he creates a lot of noise around it because he's been robbed of like a thousand pounds or something like that. And so he's got a, he's trying to figure out who took the money. He has his suspicions based off of who would have been able to do the crime and the logistics of what the scene of the crime was at the time that it happened. Um, But the uh, upper class British uh, uh, like Gentile group around him is not like not having it. And they're trying to keep, keep him quiet. They don't want him to make noise. Uh, and they keep again, like referring to his Jewish identity in a derogatory way. And so the movie uh, moves from a who took who robbed me movie into a movie about anti-Semitism. And Rathbone uh, is remarkable in the film. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that there's language being used in that movie that um, is uh, you're not expecting to hear them utilize language surrounding anti-Semitism that honestly and bluntly. And I think it's because we in America, we're not, we're not, we're not able to be privy to that because much of that discussion would have been centered around Germany. And we had a strict policy in this country to not offend Germany, specifically Nazi Germany up until around 1938, 1939, where studios started to be able to go around it. Uh, and so hearing this language in such an honest way was very, very eye-opening. Uh, and it's not dealing with anti-Semitism on the grounds of the Nazi occupation. It is falling in tandem with the same year of uh, the Nazis seizing power. But it does kind of reckon with the fact that fascism is on the rise. 
but it's really focusing on British uh, behavior towards the Jewish community and specifically like that country's attitude towards it. Um, I won't like spoil what happens throughout the movie, but I will tell you that the ending of the film uh, matches and in some points may even go above the ending to another pre-code film called three on a match just in terms of the way they both communicate the same action and how crazy it is. Cause it's definitely got a different, like, I don't want to say European, but it's a, a bolder thing is being tried at the very end of the film. Uh, not, not the last shot withstanding with Rathbone, like just really laying down the reality of what has just occurred and why, why everything unfolded the way it did. Um, if you want to look it up for free, it's on YouTube. I think it's because it's technically in the public domain in this country um, because the only DVDs available are region two. So they still probably have a claim on it, but, um, but it, it's, it's definitely worth your time. It's an hour and seven minutes. And I, I would be shocked if you didn't find it, even if it feels like a little dated for you, you, I think you'll be shocked by how like blunt they're being. Uh, it's, it's a interesting watch. Um, but I have to tell you all that I finally finished the Clint Eastwood watching until he makes that other movie with Nicholas Holt that it's apparently just been announced because that fucker won't leave me alone. Uh, I watched Richard Jewell, uh, and it was okay. Um, I wasn't, uh, as enamored with it as some other critics have been, uh, I feel like Olivia Wilde character is, is grossly miswritten. Uh, and I feel like the agenda, the, the agenda being so clear, there's only so much of it I can like tolerate, but there are moments of brilliance in that film. Uh, the way they shoot, uh, Centennial Park sequences is magnificent. Uh, Clint has not watched, lost that his touch on staging a scene. Uh, and the performances are remarkable. Uh, Paul Walter Hauser is incredible in the movie. He is among the best actors we have working today. And that is another example of his brilliance. Um, uh, but I think overall it's, it's, uh, it's not as, uh, uh, it's not as much of a punch as I wanted it to be because all the beats seem pretty clear. Um, and it's, and, and given the agenda that he was working off of clearly at that time, uh, I just kind of, I, I just kind of left the movie kind of like wanting like a more challenging uh, approach and certainly a longer film to that end. But, um, but overall it's fine. If you want to check it out, it's, it's floating around prime somewhere right now at this point. So, but for my money, it was okay. Um, you know, it's, I, I want to write an article about it and cry macho to, to wrap up the Clint Eastwood a thon, but um, it, it just, it was just kind of a weird, like, flat ending to uh the entire journey that i've taken with that actor slash director so is that his last movie that he's done uh no cry macho was the last one he did that's right Um, i couldn't remember how they played out you know yeah and i i don't blame you and cry macho is way more disappointing than richard jewell like i will say that richard jewell is a way better movie than cry macho cry macho is a, a a a bit of a mess and not the least of which is because Clint Eastwood should probably be 20 years younger to play that role. Not to, not to play into ageism per se, but it's just physically like there are certain things that character is being asked to do in the script that he just isn't up to doing anymore. 
the the one exception being when you see him getting back on a horse it's really fucking cool um but yeah overall uh it's just kind of feels flat i'll be interested to see whatever this juror number two movie is that he has going on with um tony collette and uh nicholas holt uh to to see what that movie is uh because i still want to see him work until the day he dies i just uh it, it just feels like the movies are getting less and less for me so hmm. yeah uh yeah i watched a couple things but i'm I think i'm just gonna talk about one because it's the uh so i'm a big fan of the hbo series tells from the crypt what? and yeah i know i mean i literally rip off from there when i say uh in a segment i like to call um when the crypt keeper in that introduces a segment he always says in a in a macabre tale i call your heart beats twice or whatever um i would love yeah. if you introduced your segments going forward in that voice <laughs> done <laughs> well i gotta think of puns for it too so yeah it's a writing gig that's for sure <laughs> Um, so there was a British version of Tales from the Crypt that came out in 1972 that I didn't know existed I got the uh, Blu-ray on Screen Factory's cell they had uh, they have one in Valentine's Day and one in October I I think it's uh, Valenscream or something I forget what it's called but usually they have a lot of movies that you know, I'm on the fence on, but then they dropped it like 10 bucks. I'm like, yeah, why not? And uh, so this is Tells from the Crypt is paired uh, in a double feature with Vault of Horror. Um, I only watched Tells from the Crypt, and it was interesting watching it because um, the setup is these five people um, are in a crypt, and the Crypt Keeper is not what you are used to. But also, I think in the original EC comics, he obviously wasn't as like a zombie that that's crack cracking jokes. Um, and it, he's he's played by Sir Ralph Richardson, and so all these people are there, and they don't know why they're there. And he says, "Think back to why you were doing first. And so the first story is actually also the first um, story that the HBO series showed, which is um, and all through the house, which is about a killer Santa Claus Um, and all the uh, stories in it in the anthology were done on the HBO show as well. So they've all been adapted from the original comics. Um, And they're what I love about the tales from the crypt is they're always morality tales. So it's always like some rich guy who's a prick thinks he's going to get away with murder or something. And then he gets what's coming to him. Uh, the best one is, I can't remember if it's the third or fourth one, but it's Peter Cushing and he plays a widower who's lonely and his snobby rich neighbors across the street don't like that. He has dogs and he has like the poor children over to his house to tell stories and, all this other stuff. So uh, on Valentine's Day, the rich prick sends him like these mocking Valentines about his wife because his wife is now dead. And uh, after that, there's like some time passes. 
and the rich prick son and his dad say, we haven't seen our neighbor. They go over there and the camera hands over is their life after death book. And then they find Peter Cushing has hung himself. And then exactly a year later, Peter Cushing rises from the grave as a zombie. And, uh, <laughs> the kid is killed and the dad goes down and there's this piece of butcher paper and written in blood says, you were cruel from the start and now you've got no, and the dad unwraps it more and it's uh, like his ripped out heart. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so I'm like, yes. And it's that 1970s gore. So the blood looks like red paint. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so it looks like really cartoony but in a way it's really fun you know in short amazing <laughs> yes um so it was better than i thought it was going to be um i mean it's not as fun as the hbo series but for a 1972 british horror film um you know it, it was good uh, so i'm kind of excited to see what vault of horror has to offer um, nice yeah yeah and that's that, it, <laughs> That that one came from Amicus. Uh, there's a yes. Amic- there's an Amicus podcast out there with a former Ballyhoo guest, or not a, a, a continued Ballyhoo guest. Um, and uh, there's one you should check out called From Beyond the Grave. Um, that one is the the uh, it's it's a fun uh, it's a fun one that has Donald Pleasance and his daughter uh, acting alongside each other in a very interesting. Uh, middle no, story. No, no. Oh, he's he's pretty calm in this one, and it's it's more he more unnerves you with uh the way he stares and the way his daughter stares, Angela. Uh, so yeah, that's if you're looking for more of that, like that's a good one to go into. It's it's a fun one. Sweet. Yeah, and that's what we watched this week. Uh, I'm gonna play this that she's gonna do it because she said she was going to. Corinne's gonna send us something. And I have no idea what it is because she hasn't recorded it yet. Hey nerds, Corinne here for another installment of Showtime, where I talk about something cool I've been watching lately. Although this has recently just become the Ted Lasso and or Mandalorian corner, and we're going to keep that going again today. Um, I'll just get into Ted Lasso real quick, no spoilers first, and then I will get into spoilers for Mandalorian Season 3, including the finale. So I'll tell you when to jump off for Mandalorian Season 3 spoilers. We're going to do Ted Lasso first. So last night we got uh, episode six of 12 for season three. I cannot believe we're already halfway through this season. How fast these six weeks have gone by, which is a quote from the show. Um, Yeah, I overall, I'm really enjoying it. There have been a couple of like character storylines I'm not invested in yet, but I'm open to it later. And um, yeah. I don't know. Like, I don't know what to say that isn't like spoilery. I guess just, yeah, I'm really enjoying the season so far. I'm really liking the direction the show is going. I think we're, yeah, we're going to see some really good stuff here in the latter half of the season, but mostly just, I cannot believe that we're already halfway through. Um, the episode six that came out last night was great. Everybody, please go watch Ted Lasso if you haven't already. (laughs) That's all I'll say. Okay. Now we're going to do Mandalorian season three spoilers. So including the finale. So if you do not want spoilers, this is your warning right now. Okay. Three, two, one mythosaur part two. Oh my gosh. So on the one hand, I did love the season three finale, 
But on the other hand, I still think that season three is the weakest we've gotten so far. And it has been very disjointed. The structuring, the pacing, all of that has been, I won't say like terrible or bad, but it's just been very um, lackluster, I guess, compared to what we got in season one, season two. And they had their problems, sure, but the fact that it felt like more self-contained little adventures every week really helped, whereas this season was just all over the map. There were sort of self-contained um, adventures sometimes, but other times it was just random shit. Um, and we build up to plot lines that go nowhere, or at least for now they go nowhere. <laughs> um, yeah, the whole, oh my gosh, yeah, Moff Gideon making clones of himself. I'm like, so we had all of like two minutes of build up for that. Then they get very quickly destroyed. And then he says some line about, oh, the clones, the clones, I was going to have the force, blah, blah, blah. That was it. That that was the, all of what was the point? Unless, and I think, and I, I know other people theorizing this too, but I think this will come up again later. You know, why would they spend this time highlighting something that isn't going to make a difference in the finale unless it comes back in season four or five, whatever they end up doing? Yeah. Um, I think the Moff Gideon they fought is dead, but there is possibly another Moff Gideon, whether it's a clone of him and the real one was destroyed, or whether the real one, or whether the one they destroyed was a clone, and the real one's still floating around out there, we will find out, but I do think there is another version of Moff Gideon, maybe one who has the force, Ugh. um, so we will, we will find out, as I said, um, for the Dave Filoni movie, I do think, like, Moff Gideon and Thrawn are gonna team up, I think Thrawn will probably be the main antagonist of that movie now, but it is still possible that Moff Gideon or his clone could show up at some point. Yeah, so, uh, again, loved the ending, loved seeing all the Mando, uh, Mandos flying around, you know, defeating, and, you know, defeating the Imperials, um, the Stormtroopers with the little jetpacks. And loved, loved seeing, you know, the trio all saving each other against Moff Gideon and the Praetorian Guard. And loved, loved seeing Din officially adopt Grogu as his son. And the, the hint that Grogu could sense the mythosaur down there in the living waters. Um, and then Din and Grogu, you know, they get a little farm on Navarro and they're very happy. And I'm like, yes, yes, this is just, this is all I wanted, like, all season. I just wanted them to, like hang out and just chill, <laughs> you know, yeah, occasionally, you know, they can fight or, you know, blow shit up or whatever, but, you know, mostly I just, I just want them to be father, son, and just hang out, okay? Just domestic life, nothing super crazy, at least not every episode, you know, sometimes you just appreciate the quiet things, right? So, oh man, but yeah, don't let that, <laughs> don't let that stop you from realizing, like, just how weird this season was as far as like I said you know structuring pacing uh character plot lines I will be doing a season three recap like whole series and recap at some point on the real nerds website I'm not going to commit to doing it in a certain amount of time because every time I do that I don't meet the deadline because <laughs> I have other shit going on but hopefully down the road you know here in a few months or something 
I will have a season three recap for everybody because I do think there was some stuff there, but they could have restructured it or they should have added things, moved things around, taken other things out. And I think we could have gotten a really, really good season, but yeah, especially in the last two episodes, while they were the best two episodes of the season, there was still a lot that they threw at us really, really quick. And it was like, well, what was the point of that? Like, don't go anywhere. Even in just this episode, in the finale, you know, the scene where um, the survivors tell Bo-Katan, like, we have somewhere safe, we can take you. And then they show her this, like, underground garden thing they have, and they talk about, oh, yeah, the plant life. We can restore the plant life on uh, Mandalore. But then they leave, like, two minutes later. So, like, logistically, what was the point of you flying all the way there just to hang out and chill? Just to, yeah, I don't know, it was just, it, it was all so fast, and, like, they couldn't, they didn't even, like, stop to catch their breath or get some water. Nope, just, here, we're gonna fly here, have this one short conversation, and then we're gonna leave again. Like, is this what Star Wars has become now? <laughs> I feel like that's what the whole season was, is just, we're gonna fly to somewhere, have, especially, like, that first episode, it was just, like, fly somewhere, have a conversation, and then leave, like... You, you don't want to, like, pick up food or something? Like, <laughs> come on! Uh, and the one time, like, Grogu does stop to grab food, <laughs> Mando yells at him. Oh, my gosh. No, that was that. Oh, my gosh. I was really nervous about Grogu getting I, the IG-12 body, but it ended up being super cute, and I loved it. So, yeah, again, because I saw the spoilers online from Star Wars Celebration first, and they're like, Grogu gets the IG-11, IG-12 body, and he, like, rides it around like a little mech suit or something, and we're like, what? That's that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And then I saw it, and I was like, no, this is awesome. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad he doesn't have it long-term. I think tw- I think just the two episodes was fine. Um, yeah, any more, and I think it would have gotten kind of annoying, but... Yeah. Oh, no. He and his dad are just hanging out on their little farm. I love it. Uh, I'm very, I am excited for season four. I know we're not going to get it for a while, but considering that, like, everybody online that I was interacting with, we were all like, oh my gosh, like, Din's going to die, or Bo-Katan's going to die, like, somebody's going to die, or, you know, Din's going to get brainwashed or tortured or something, and, like, Grogu's going to get captured again, or, you know, all these, like, terrible theories of, like, what was going to happen in the finale, and then none of those ended up happening. It was, like, this kind of really happy ending, like, other than the Darksaber getting destroyed and Pazla Vizsla dying. Like, honestly, the heroes came out pretty okay, so, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm fine with waiting, like, two years now until we get the next season, but, I mean, I still want to see season four, but I'm okay with waiting. Thankfully, they didn't give us any, like, major cliffhangers, Again, more so possible theories of, like, oh, yeah, maybe Moff Gideon's not dead, or maybe Bo-Katan will, like, have Ahsoka help her restore the Darksaber, you know, all these thoughts for the future, but nothing crazy, and that's fine. So, yeah, Mandalorian Season 3 was okay. Again, I'm going to be going into it more, but just based on my impression, just from watching the finale last night, um, yeah, it was okay. The, the two-part finale was good. It was better than the previous six episodes, but still not enough to kind of bring the season... Like, it brought the season to a good conclusion, but it wasn't the strongest conclusion, if that makes sense. 
I still think that season season one was great. Season two was also good, but it had problems. Um, and it, yeah. Oh my gosh! No, didn't Grogu? They're the best. Oh man. Okay. So anyway, sorry for ranting, but yeah, Mandalorian season three. Hopefully, you've already seen it if you're listening to this part of it. But yeah, if you haven't, go watch it. I guess. Uh, but de- no, you should definitely, no, just forget Mandalorian. Just go watch Ted Lasso, because way better, way better. Oh my gosh, oh, I'm so excited for the, I'm like, I really want the series finale to get here, but I also don't, like, I want these next six weeks to take as long as possible, because I'm really loving these episodes. Um, so, yeah, excited for the series finale, but I don't want it to be here just yet. Although it's coming, it's, I could take another, like, three episodes, or, I could take another three seasons of the show, but I know that that would also degrade the quality of the episodes, so I'm fine with just getting the three that we do. So, alright guys, I'll talk to you guys next time about something, probably Ted Lasso. Alright, take care, nerds. Bye! Wow, Corinne, thanks for spoiling whatever it is you spoiled for us. Look, just I because... she... Yeah, sorry. <laughs> she watched some anime that has to do with someone falling in love with a chair and she sent me this video and i have no idea what i the context of it but she told me that it, it's weird and if i saw the anime it makes sense so, is it is it clint eastwood falling in love with the chair <laughs> maybe I, d- I, mean, I didn't think they kept dating after that day at the rnc <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a deep cut joke there my friend yeah, um, who remembers clint eastwood talking to a chair <laughs> i saw a clip of Daniel Day-Lewis doing the same at the BAFTAs, and he says, I have no, like, comment to make on Clint Eastwood's politics. All I saw was him talking to that chair and said, I have to try that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Next week on Real Nerds Podcast, I'm excited because Evil Dead Rise is our film of the week. Um, And then in two weeks, we will uh, be doing Film Explosion 1983. 19, so hopefully you'll struggle as much as I did making a top 10 list because there's so many good movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 83 <laughs> and 93 have been tough. Like no. there's ones that I had to let go of because I like one more than the other. No, 83 was tough because finding 10 movies was tough for me. Now, 93 was tough because I had so many movies. Oh, but gotcha. There's some good. Be... I think I know what your number one is, but... <laughs> We'll have Maybe. to see. <laughs> Maybe. Um, I mean, if if you're going to do that, it's going to be a risky bet. Um, oh, oh, I thought you would maybe return from a Jedi or something like that. So, yeah. I thought Brad, that was a fair enough assessment. <laughs> anything else you want to say? You've been quiet. Yeah, no, I, you got you covered it all. All right. Until next week, I'll see you at the movies. Bye. Bye. Well, a real nerd knows who shot him. A real nerd can follow the plot. And a real nerd will give it all the gods. Lights, camera, action. Thanks for listening to Real Nerds Podcast, a Nebulous Visions production. Stream or download episodes. Read articles at realnerdspodcast.com. Stream us on Apple or Google Podcasts. Stitcher, Spotify, or iHeartRadio. Follow us on Facebook, Real Nerds Podcast. Twitter and Instagram, at Real Nerds. 
Watch us on YouTube, Real Nerds Podcast. Email us at realnerds at gmail.com. Call us at 720-6Nerds5. Thank you to Sparks Mandrill, Mike at Plan 9 Studios, and Bologna for all of our groovy theme songs. And that's how you fucking do it.